My goodness, Timber Creek, what an honor it is to be here today. We love you so much. You are literally family. Not just because that's my brother-in-law, but y'all literally family, and you've invested so much into uh, our lives and to our church. I'm so excited today just to be able to share with you guys the story I believe God's put on my heart and the story he wants to share with you. And, and uh, so let's jump in. I, I, I love this place. I love this church. And uh, I just want to take a moment real quick and say Jeremy and Janet, Graham and Sage, who's not here, but we love. We love your family. We love you all so much. And I leaned over to Janet when you said your favorite speaker. I was like, what happened? He didn't make it. Did he get canceled? So I figured I was back up. But uh, he's very kind, and uh, we love you all. And I just want to say to the church, man, um, not only our church and not only me as a pastor do we look to the leadership of Jeremy and your leadership team here as well, just what God is doing in in this church. Um, But we also look to you all just for personal spiritual leadership and and love and what you've done in my own life just investing in me and helping me i don't know if you all know this but the past couple years have been what i call hard anybody else have a a hard time is this me just me i was a little nervous there for a second past couple years have been what we call hard and y'all i got a lot of friends that are pastors all of them haven't made it to the last couple years and and uh, i just want to say personally Jeremy has invested in my life to not give up, keep going, but also, when I look at this church, this church is so inspiring to me, not just to us, but do you know that you guys are inspiring to this area and to this nation, and honestly to this world, that tells me that a church doesn't have to have a shelf life. A church of the good old days doesn't have to become a museum, but think about what God is doing here, almost 100 years of what he's doing, and he's still doing it, because you guys are not satisfied with where you are, but you're looking for those who aren't even here yet. And uh, and today, I just want to say in front of everybody, thank you for your investment, thank you for not giving up, still preaching, still loving, still pastoring, still dreaming, still believing, even after a couple crazy years. Everybody, would you honor your pastors today? Give it up for Jeremy and Janet, your team here. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. We should never, ever take for granted the miracles of what God is doing, what God is doing. Today, I'm just gonna share a few stories. That's why I'm here today. I believe no matter who you are or where you are, watching online, what adventure that you're on, what campus that you're at, I believe God wants to speak to you I wants to encourage you. And, and today's Palm Sunday, everyone, and, and uh, Palm Sunday's a big day. My wife, uh, I'm not even Troy, by the way, if I didn't share that, but my wife, Lacey, man, she's in Manhattan at Rock Hills right now preaching, and that's usually everybody's favorite day is when I'm gone and Lacey's speaking, so they're all like, woo! And uh, she's, she's speaking on Palm Sunday today, and, and it's such a big day. And, and here's what I just want to share with everybody is, is I share a few stories. Share a few stories. that It would be this thought. No matter who you are or where you are, you have no idea what God can do. You have no idea the multiplied good that God can do when you give him whatever you have. You have no idea the multiplied good God can do when you give him whatever you have. That's my story, everybody. And, and so seven years ago, when we went on an adventure from Springfield, Missouri, my family and I have two girls, Jovi and Jade, and, and uh, we went on this adventure. We're gonna plan, we're gonna start a new church in the Little Apple of Manhattan, Kansas. I had, I had told Lacey, I knew she grew up in Wichita, they're from Kansas, 
You know, the, the Yancey family were, were very kind, and they allowed me to enter the family. And, uh, and so I told Lacey, man, I will never live in Kansas. I just want to let you know. I want to plant that seed. I'm never going to Kansas. How many of you know you should never say things like that because God is always listening? Anybody? Yeah. So I live in Kansas. And we moved there seven years ago. I had, I had an opportunity to stand in front of you all and share the dream that God had put in our heart. And I don't know if you all know this or remember this, but you all invested $10,000 into our church plan, a church that didn't even exist, everybody. And, uh, and so you're brave, and I just wanna say thank you for that courage because we're still going, we still exist. And so that's good news for all that you invested. You're like, that's good, that's good to hear. And, and God's done incredible things, he's done incredible things. And you guys invested something that, that is an adventure, adventure to see, God, what are you gonna do? How is this gonna work out? And as Jeremy was just saying there, um, it's just phenomenal. We, we met in a boys and girls club. That's where we started, just to give you a little bit of a recap. We started in a boys and girls club. We were there for a year and a half. And then a movie theater became available. And so we were doing the portable gig. We were setting up and then packing up. We'd show up about six o'clock and then we'd be out. We we're supposed to be out at 1.30. There were a few Sundays we're pulling cases out of the theater movie room and people are in there waiting for the movie, eating their popcorn. And we're like, we're not staying. They're looking at us like, why are you guys in here? We're willing cases out. And so we did that for a while. And then, uh, and then everybody, they, they closed that theater. AMC built a new one at the mall. They closed that one. And they said, y'all have 30 days to find a new, a new location. And uh, I just wanna tell you, that was uh, uh, not, that really just refreshed my prayer life. Let's just say that. This really refreshed my prayer life. And we were believing, and I really believe that God said, this is where I want you. Okay, God, well, if this is where you want us, you're gonna have to do a great miracle. And, uh, and, and so we just trusted God. And so we worked out a deal with AMC that, we could stay there, they put it on the market, they had a big sign out front that said for sale, and they said, you could stay there and, and pay rent, we can lease it, and then if somebody buys it, you'll have 30 days to relocate. So basically what I said is we're in a month to month lease, as long as nobody buys. If somebody buys it, we got 30 days to relocate. Y'all, we did that for four years. My prayer life has remained refreshed, I mean like, so for four years, and people would come, and they would look at the building, and every time they did, we'd go through this process again, thinking, God, is this where you want us? Is this what you want? And I am happy to report to you, y'all, back in October, we purchased the movie theater. That is our home. That is our home. And uh, we're so excited about that. What, a, what an incredible ride it has been, y'all. I mean, moving, not knowing what was going to happen from the movie theater. Now we, we own it. Now we are renovating so it is on nine acres, we call it nine acres of hope. Nine acres of hope. And we say, God, would you leverage not only our lives, would you leverage this land? May we be something you would use to help other people find and follow you. And, and it's 58,000 square feet. So it's been a fun adventure figuring out how do we turn the movie theater into a functioning church where God, you can leverage it best for its greatest effectiveness. And we're doing that right now. We're in the middle of it. People, as they walk through the church today, the tiles are out. We pulled the carpet up. Thank God, it was hideous. And uh, they're walking through a building that's in the middle of renovation. And I can't help but think that as this old movie theater, I believe that God knew when it was being built as a movie theater would someday be the house of the Lord. And as this building, this old, ugly, mid-80s building, we've called it lipstick on a pig for many years, everybody. <laughs> 
And as we're in it, I just can't help but think that God, as you are renovating and as you are restoring an old movie theater, you're doing that in the lives of people. You're restoring and renovating college students and military families and everybody in between. And so today, I just want to talk about, I want to share some stories with you with this thought in mind. And every story that I share, I'm just going to ask you, would you filter it through this thought? You have no idea, I'm telling you, you have no idea the multiplied good God can do with whatever you give him. Especially when you feel like you don't have much to give. Now, seven years ago, I shared my story a little bit, and I'm I'm gonna give you a, kind of a recap version of it today, and some of you know my story, some of you don't, but um, man, my story is a story of God's grace. My personal story is a story that God can do a multiplied good with somebody who thinks they don't have anything, anything to offer. And I remember a particular conversation, and I'm gonna do my best today just to communicate a certain moment in my life, and you can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes, but I'm gonna do my best to communicate a story in my life where I had a setting, where I had a crucial conversation that forever changed the course of my life, and I'm gonna do my best to tell you what that was like. About 10 days before I had this particular conversation, I had just graduated college, which was a miracle in and of itself. I finished school, I was a criminal justice major. I was about to start like 10 days, a little bit longer. I was supposed to start my new career as a highway patrolman um, and, uh, in Kansas. And, uh, you know, so God was gonna get me in Kansas one way or the other, I'm convinced of it. And, uh, and so I just graduated and, and I was gonna start my, my career in law enforcement. I, want, I wanted to be a United States Marshal is what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, but sadly, um, Partying my way through school, by the time I got to be a junior, I was an alcoholic. I had a life-controlling issue. What started out as just having fun, having a good time, became a life-controlling issue, something that uh, was once fun would now controlled me. And to be quite honest, by the time I was a senior, not a lot of people knew that I was an alcoholic, but what I knew is I hated myself. I hated who I'd become. And, and, and so, like I said, it was a miracle. I graduated. And I uh, went to a New Year's Eve party, and, and I did, sadly, what I had done for many years. Um, as I not only drank, but later that night, I decided to drive. And you also, ten day, literally 10 days after I just graduated college, just a few days more, I'm supposed to start a new career, I decided to drink and drive, and a long story short, at 3 a.m. on the first day of a new year, I ran off a ravine in the Ozarks. And that night, my good friend who was with me, Matt Jones, he, he died in my arms. My life was a train wreck. It was a mess. I went to prison or jail, and when I was in jail, I remember just sitting there thinking, is this really happening? I mean, I'm done. There ain't no good gonna come from this life. And a few days later, I was invited to my friend's funeral that that I caused by my friend's mom, and her name was Mary. And I went to that funeral, and I remember sitting in a funeral that we were there because of my own selfish decisions, thinking, what am I gonna do? I was charged with involuntary manslaughter. I was facing seven, potential seven years in prison. And at the end of the funeral, and I'm gonna 
tell you this crucial conversation. The end of the funeral, and I had talked with Mary, Matt's mom. I hadn't met her until I got to the funeral. I talked to her a few times, and right before I was to leave the funeral, which was in St. Louis, Missouri, and to go back home, Mary, she said this multiple times, but she grabbed my hands. I'll never forget this moment. We're standing in the doorways of the building. About, I'm about to leave. She grabbed my hands, and she said, Troy, I love you, and I forgive you. Can I just tell you all, 20 years later, <laughs> the impact of those words, the impact of a mom's forgiveness has literally, literally impacted thousands and thousands of lives. That's love beyond reason. We don't often know, we don't often understand how powerful love beyond reason and forgiveness can be. But she grabbed my hands and she said, Troy, I love you and I forgive you. And then she said this statement right here. This is what I want to camp on today. She said, if you give God your life, he will use it for good. If you give God your life, he will use it for good. Now, 20 years later, if you can hear that story, you can see what God is doing, you can say, way to go, God. But I just, as real as I can be today, I feel like I came, hopefully for the scriptural story I'm gonna share, but I really feel like I may, maybe came today for somebody just to tell you this. In that moment, I was like, what good do I have to offer? I'm damaged goods. I've got nothing. I've destroyed a family. I rocked my own friends and family's world. I was now in thousands of dollars of debt. I had messed up my career. And personally, let me just tell you, personally, I hated myself. I had no joy, no hope. I'm full of shame, I'm full of guilt and I did not want to live. So I came back home, and I decided that I would do what this loving mom told me to do. <laughs> I would go to church. And I went to this church, and I'll never forget walking in the doors of this church, and uh, let me just tell you, man, I'm so grateful that there was a great place when I needed it the most. Do you know that today there's a good chance that you just never know who will walk through the doors of a church? I was a broken mess, and there were people who loved me, accepted me, pointed me to Jesus. Some of you today walked in here, and you may think that you feel like a fish out of water, and you wonder, but I'm telling you, the church I went, this church is just like it. It was an amazing church, and there were amazing people there who were not just there for themselves, but they were there to see God change the lives of other people. And I got way involved in this church. And there was a moment where I surrendered my life to Christ, and I remember saying, God, I don't have much. In fact, I don't have anything, but if you will use my life for good, I give it to you. I not only follow through what the loving mom told me to do, I follow through what the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart. See, the Holy Spirit used those exact words to speak to my gut one day, a few weeks after my tragic story, and the Holy Spirit said, Troy, I love you, and I forgive you, and if you will just give me your life, I will use it for good. So I did what Jeremy talked about a little bit ago. I surrendered. And I said, I don't have much good to give you, God. I mean, you know my story. You know my selfishness. You know what, my, what the scripture says, that I, I lived uh, satisfying the desires of the flesh. That's called college for me. I did that. You know I don't have much to offer. But I gave God my life. 
And y'all, I just want to tell you, it's hard for me to even fathom, but 20 years later, God wasn't just giving me some cliche statement, but 20 years later, exactly what God said he would do, he is doing. He has done. He's done things that I can never fathom. When I gave him my life, I was surprised that I could be a follower of Christ. I had no idea that I'd be a pastor. I had no idea that one day um, I'd be a lead pastor and planning a church. I mean, that, that was way beyond what I thought. But can I just tell you that you have no idea the multiplied good that God can do with whatever you give him? And that's what he's done in my life. And now he's used my life to impact the lives of others. To, if anything, I think like my motto in life is to say, look at what the Lord has done. Because <laughs> if you get to know me just a few minutes, you'll be like, yeah, ain't you. Look at what the Lord has done. What a beautiful story and opportunity just to say, look at what the Lord has done. Look at the good that God has done out of my life. So I began to follow Jesus. And, and I went all in and surrendered. But... But I, I, trusted, I trusted Jesus with my eternity, but I gotta be honest with you. A couple year, years in, I was struggling to trust God with my finances. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and so I had this guy discipling me, and, and, and he's my best friend to this day. And, and uh, you, you know, so my situation was I had thousands of dollars in debt. Um, I ended up getting probation, and so I got really involved in this church. I was on five years probation, and so I'm, I'm serving in the kids. I'm serving in the youth area. I mean, if the church had an opportunity, I was serving in it, all the while going to see my, my, uh, pro, my uh, uh, probation officer once a month. And, and, uh, and while I'm doing that, she, she let me know right up front that I, I'm an, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist, and so I don't care about all your church stories. But y'all, after a couple years of meeting with her, she surrendered her life to Christ, and she was just watching what God was doing in my own life, in my own heart. So I got really involved. So in a couple years on this journey, I remember having another crucial conversation with my friend. And, and my friend said, Troy, man, you're, you, you've gone all in with serving God. Troy, Troy you, you've trusted God with your eternity. You need to trust God with with." your finances with what you have. And I was like, yeah, that's, I, I don't have anything to give. See, that's the deal. I don't have anything to give. I'm, I have thousands of dollars of debt. Man, I was working three jobs at the time just to pay the car insurance, you know, just to eat, just to get by, just to live. Some of you may be familiar with, with that setting or have been familiar with that setting. And I was like, man, I would if I had anything to give. And he said, Troy, it really comes down to this. Do you trust God? And so I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, man. I was like, you don't understand. That's what I thought, just to be honest. I'm still growing in my spiritual maturity, right? And, and, uh, and so I said, all right, I'm gonna give this a shot. So everybody, I, I didn't really understand it, but I just thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to tithe. And so uh, back in the day, they had these paper things called checks you used to use. You wrote on them and you, you, you physically handed them in. And so I was writing checks to tithe, and uh, there's something called when you bounce a check, you pay a fee. So true story, everybody. Um, I bounced some checks, trying to tithe, trying to be obedient, trying to surrender all. And the bank contacted me after, uh, I think it was $30 every time. And so I had racked up about $300. You can do the math of how many times that were, that was. 
And so the bank called me in and said, Troy, um, you've been bouncing checks, and, and we wanted to meet with you and see, well, what's going on? So I explained to the bank the tithe principle. I was trying to surrender. I was trying to be obedient to God. And you know what? They did, the bank didn't really care about my tithe principle. They, they were like, could you just stop bouncing checks? And true story, that night, one of the jobs I had working at the church, um, I was cleaning it, and uh, I worked late. It was like 11 o'clock. And I was praying, and the prayer went something like this. God, I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to trust you. I'm trying to tithe. And God, it's just not working out. And I don't understand. And everybody tells me that, you know, if you trust God, he'll honor you, and he will always meet your needs. And so I'm praying this. And I'm like, God, my, I got needs. And then I said something like this. Like, I can't even not tithe. I'm paying, you know, penalties on trying to tithe. And then, God, you know, the, the tires on my, I had a little Saturn, I call it the Saturn missile. I said, the tires on my Saturn, you can literally see the metal, the steel belt. They're worn down, they're about to blow up. God, I can't even afford tires, let alone tithe. How many of you know the Lord listens to your prayers? I leave that night, I get in my little Saturn missile car, I get on the highway, I'm driving down the highway, I see up in front of me there's uh, a car with a whole bunch of Highway patrolmen following, it's a police chase. Well, they're on the other side of the median, they pass me, and I kind of slow down, like, wow, that's crazy, and I watch them. In my rearview mirror, I saw the car they're chasing jump the median, starts coming up behind me. All the cars start following, coming up behind me. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So I slow down, I start to get over it. Well, just as I did, one of the highway patrolmen that was in the last of the pack, he shot across the median, jumped out of his car. As I slow down, probably going like 40, this car that they're chasing passes me. We're, we're like neck to neck now. And this cop jumps out and he shoots this thing across the road. It's, it's like a porcupine of nails to flatten tires. <laughs> now I want you to think about the prayer I just prayed 10 minutes before. 10 minutes before, I kid you not. So I hit it, and the car they're chasing hit it, and all four of my tires, <laughs> y'all, I pulled over on the side of the road, and I'm sitting, all the cars keep going. That guy gets in his car, he's chasing the car. They're, it's just me. <laughs> I look around, all four of my tires are flat, and I'm like, God, are you serious? <laughs> I'm like, you know, my viewpoint at that point is maybe some of your viewpoints, God is out to smite me. I was like, okay, I'll keep paying the bank fees, I guess. <laughs> so about that time, here comes a highway patrol car, pulls up. He gets out and he goes, oh man. And I'm like, I'm not laughing, this isn't funny. You think this is funny? And he said, oh man, I'm so sorry. The only way I could get that car was to get yours too. I apologize. He said, but here's the deal. Gave me his card. He said, go to any tire shop tomorrow. Tell them my card, my name on my card, and we'll get, the state will get you four brand new tires for your car. How, how many of you know I got the best tires you could fit? <laughs> Thank you, state of Missouri, on that Saturn car, right? Best tires you could get. Now you hear that story and you're like, oh man, so God's gonna give me brand new tires if I start tithing. I don't know, I don't know what he'll do. <laughs> but I just wanna tell you, it's not only your life that you trust with God, but you also trust him with what you have. And can I just tell you, you have no idea the multiplied good God would do when you give him whatever you have. Everybody, 20 years later, 22 years later, can I just tell you, I've never not tithed since that point. 
Why, why did I have to go through a little season? I think it's called persistence. I think God's saying, are you willing to trust me with a little perseverance? I've never not paid a bill since that moment. And that moment in the setting of my life when things looked really, really bleak, where it looked like there's no hope and there's no future, I just want you to know, not only has God always provided, but I have gone on a journey of 20 years being able to be radically generous and loving every minute and moment and every dime. I've never not given minimum of 10% since that point of my life. Why? Because God just showed me, I'm listening and I'll always provide for you. I will always take care of you. But not only that, you all, since that moment, we've had seasons that we've given 15% of our income. We're in one right now trying to lead the way on what God is doing, giving 20% of our income. And it's not an obligation, it's an opportunity because do you have any idea what God will do to multiply good with whatever you give him? I wanna share with you one more story, and I love, love, love this story. It's a story in scripture that you're gonna find in all four gospels, and uh, outside of the resurrection, it's the only miracle story that you find in all four gospels. And the reason I think it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four, it's because it, it has a profound principle that I think we all should lean in and learn from. And I'm just gonna read it out of Mark chapter six, it's out of the message version. and. Um, and, and as I do, I, it's the story that likely you've heard, the story of feeding the 5,000, that many scholars say 5,000 men, good chance there could have been 15,000 people there. So it's the story of Jesus doing a miracle, and it's really a story about one life, one life impacting thousands. It says this in verse 33, Jesus arrived, and he arrives with his disciples, and he says he saw this huge crowd at the sight of them, his heart, Jesus' heart broke. Why? Because they were like sheep with no shepherd they were. Now, this is Eugene Peterson in a paraphrase called the Message Bible, but that really sounds like Yoda right there. <laughs> like sheep with no shepherd they were, right? <laughs> I've grown in many ways, but middle school humor is still one of the gifts that I have. So. But Jesus, right off the bat in the story, he sees what? He sees a need. By the way, Jesus knows your greatest need. Your greatest need is not always a physical need. The greatest need is a spiritual need. He went right to work, it says, teaching them. Now, this next line I find so funny. I find there's some really funny parts in Scripture. I just want to read what it says. It says this. When his disciples thought that this had gone on long enough, you have the Son of God teaching eternal truths that last forever, and the disciples are like, that's good, that's good, that's good spiritual eternal truths, Jesus. I think this has gone on long enough. How many of you would like to be the one who interrupts Jesus as he's teaching eternal truths? When his disciples thought this had gone on long enough, it was now quite late in the day, and they interrupted. We are a long way out in the country, and it's very late. They say, why don't you pronounce a benediction? In other words, Jesus, why don't you wrap this up? Now, I know none of you ever think that when Pastor Jeremy's preaching. Why don't you go ahead and announce a benediction and wrap this up? Can I just say that he's preaching eternal truths, everybody? <laughs> Actually, probably sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is wrap it up. Let's just be honest, okay? But it says, it was now quite late in the day. They interrupted. We're a long way out in the country, and it's very late. Pronounce a benediction and send these folks off so that they can get some supper. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, you do it. You fix them some supper. And they replied, are you serious? You want us to go spend a fortune on food for their supper? But he was quite serious. 
How many of loaves of bread do you have? Jesus says, take inventory. That didn't take long. <laughs> Five, they said, plus two fish. Now, likely you've heard this story, and, and maybe you know the point. The point is God just doesn't want to bring transformation to the world around you. He wants to bring transformation in the world in you. Because this story is all about one life and one small lunch. Scholars say that this would have been about five crackers and two small sardines. The amount would have been pretty similar to a Lunchable. Anybody ever have a little Lunchable here? <laughs> now in the Gospel of John, I love that it's in all four Gospels because if you read the story in all four Gospels, you're gonna find out that it really paints the picture of the whole story. In the Gospel of John, you find out that the Lunchable they get is from a little boy. It's a little boy's lunch that they find. And, and, and I don't know the name of the little boy, but just for the sake of today, let's just call the little boy Johnny. Let's just call him Johnny because I relate to little Johnny. Anybody ever heard little Johnny jokes? Little Johnny jokes, yeah. I relate to little Johnny, and so do the disciples, by the way. They're a lot like little Johnny. Little Johnny often has uh, uh, some challenges of, of uh, missing the point. And in this story, little Johnny, this would be probably, could be true of, uh, of this little guy. In fact, it reminds me of a story of, of little Johnny uh, one time. He's in class, and uh, the teacher says, today, kids, we're gonna learn a lesson about alcohol. And so she grabs a, a glass, and she puts water in it. She takes some worms, and they're little elementary kids. And she takes the worms, and they're all dangling around. He, she drops them in the water, and she goes, okay, class, look at that. And the kids are all, you know, elementary, like, ooh, that's so cool. And then she grabs a clear, another clear glass. She puts alcohol in it. And uh, when she does, she grabs some more worms, and she puts, she goes, uh, okay, kids, we're gonna learn today a lesson about alcohol. She drops some worms into the alcohol. Well, they swim around a little bit. In the glass of water, they're swimming around, look like they're having a good time. In the alcohol, they swim around a little bit, but they swell up, and then they stop moving, they die. And she goes, okay, class, can anybody here test, tell me the lesson to be learned about alcohol? Of course, little Johnny, he's the only one that raises his hand. And the teacher's like, oh, dear God, please, anybody but Johnny, anybody but Johnny. But nobody else raises their hand, and she says, okay, okay, little Johnny, can you tell the, cl the class the lesson there is to be learned about alcohol? And little Johnny stands up, and he's like, yes, yes. He said, apparently, if you get worms, drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> kind of missed the lesson. I'm a lot like little Johnny. I have a tendency to miss the point, miss the lesson. But in this story, this little Johnny he would never, ever again miss the lesson that Jesus was about to teach him. It's a beautiful lesson. Now, Jesus, he shows up and he sees what every miracle has, and that's a need. He sees a spiritual need. Later, they get hungry after his teaching, and now he's going to meet a physical need. But did you know that there is one thing out of all the miracles in the Bible, out of, you take all the miracles in Scripture, there is one thing that every miracle has in common. Now, y'all are smart people because you, you probably could say, yeah, I know what that is. It's, it's faith. And it is impossible, Scripture says, to please God without faith. But there are miracles in Scripture where people had no faith. In fact, the miracle was almost a surprise. They were like, whoa, <laughs> surprise. There, there were miracles in Scripture that, that somebody didn't even have faith or somebody else had faith and the person experienced the miracle. You might say, I know what it is. I know what it is. It's prayer. The one thing that every miracle has in common is, is prayer. And man, prayer is profound. But there are miracles in Scripture where you don't see prayer attached to it. The one common thing that every miracle in Scripture has in common is a problem. 
a problem. Now, I don't know what that says to you, but that's really encouraging news for me because I got a lot of problems. In fact, Scripture would say, if you don't have a problem, you have a problem because apparently God does his greatest miracles and the greatest problems. And you see this story, you find out that there's a need, there's a problem, and when it comes to being a part of God doing a miracle through our life, it not only takes surrender, but it takes us being willing to give God what we have. We gotta give God our lunch. Let's be honest, many times in our journey, many Christians, not all Christians, but many times in our journey, we would say, man, I, I want a miracle but we don't always want a situation that necessitates a miracle. Many times what we want is magic. We want God to see our need and just poof, meet our need. But what God wants to always do is not just do magic, he wants to do a miracle. And so what's a miracle is when we have a problem, but when we say, God, there's a partnership. See, God does a miracle because he invites us into the process. When we're in the process, we're at the place then when God can really do a miracle. In fact, what I love is just to think about, I don't know how this all went down, but when Jesus said, I want you to feed them, it appears like the disciples, they panic, they start scrambling, they go to Judas, how much money we got, and they're like, there ain't no way we can feed all these people, 15,000 people, well, let's look here with the people and see what we've got. And you know what they drum up? They drum up a Lunchable. And then they take it to Jesus. Can you imagine what this would have been like, taking your little Lunchable in front of 15,000 people and go, here, Jesus. And Jesus takes it, and you maybe know the story. He, he looks up to heaven, and he blesses it. And then, and then he does something crazy. He takes the little Lunchable, and then he breaks it into smaller pieces. Do you ever feel like that in your life? Like it's one thing to be you know, small in the grand scheme of making a difference. But Jesus, I feel like you just broke me into smaller pieces. <laughs> then he takes that and he hands it to the disciples. So now you have the disciples all holding little pieces in front of 15,000 people. And the overwhelming sense is, what can I offer? What good can I do? I only have just a little bit of an amount. When they came to little Johnny that day, and ask for his lunch. Do you think little Johnny just willingly handed him the lunch? I mean, what would you do? Would you, here's what I, let's just be honest, here's what I would do, I'd be like, it ain't my fault these other 15,000 idiots didn't pack a lunch, it's not my problem, right? Like, just because I brought a lunch and they didn't doesn't mean that I should let go of it. And let me just say, shout out to Johnny's mama <laughs> for packing in, the only one apparently that had a lunch that day is Johnny's mama, right? Shout out to her. But I've learned in my life that sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to care for others when you're comfortable, when your needs are met. One of the things I love about Timber Creek Church is you're not satisfied with being comfortable. I mean, God's already done miracles here to meet the masses of thousands. And you could easily say, hey, we're good, and it was great. But you guys aren't satisfied with that. You're not satisfied until every person has an opportunity to know Jesus and come to heaven. And we're gonna keep after it, and we're gonna keep giving, we're gonna go all in and surrendering and giving God what we have to see him multiply it beyond what we could ever fathom. One of the other things that I think of in this story when it comes to Johnny uh, giving his lunch that, that I think is interesting is, is the thought of going, well, it's just a little lunchable, the need is so big, what good can I do? And I wonder sometimes 
I wonder sometimes, do, have there been moments in my life when I miss God's best for my life because I felt like what he was asking me to do didn't make any sense? Like, God, the need is so big. What, what good is my little Lunchable gonna do? But y'all, the beauty of this story is that Johnny, you know what he would tell you? You can trust God with your lunch. You can trust God with what you have. In fact, I think Johnny would tell us all that you have no idea the multiplied good that God would do when you simply just give him what you've got. You know that the, the story about feeding the 5,000, some 15,000, it, it seems to end in the Gospels right there, but, but I don't think it really ends. And I, I just wanna end this message just kind of sharing an idea, sharing a thought of when it comes to little Johnny. You know, little Johnny that day, he experienced God doing a miracle because he simply just gave God what he had. The disciples, they experienced a miracle because they just, they just took what they had and then Jesus blessed it and, and it says that they had basketfuls, 12 left over because the disciples served and Jesus still met their need even when he met the needs of the thousands because God will always take care of our needs. He will always multiply but what we, what, what, what we think. But then Johnny goes home and I just picture this, Johnny, he goes home and he busts through the screen door and he's like, mom, 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 you won't believe what happened today. We went to see Jesus and he taught and everybody was hungry and little Johnny's mom comes in and, and she's like, oh Johnny, speaking of lunch, I've been thinking all day, did you have enough to eat? Johnny, did I give you enough to eat? And Johnny's like, listen mom, seriously, you need to sit down, you need to sit down, listen to this story. There were like some say, I don't know, 15,000 people there, nobody had a lunch mom, shout out to you, way to go for giving me a lunch. Apparently nobody had a lunch, but the disciples came, Jesus sent them, they asked me for a lunch, and mom, I gave them my lunch, and you know what happened, you know what happened? Jesus took what I gave him, and mom, listen, you, you won't believe it. Jesus, somehow he blessed it, and he prayed over it, and he broke it, and mom, everybody ate there till they were full, and even the doubting disciples had 12 baskets left over for them, mom, it was amazing. And little Johnny's mom says, son, don't lie to your mama. No, mom, I'm serious, I'm serious. One life, one lunch, impacts thousands. I want you to think about this as we wrap up. I want you to think about this. Little Johnny grew up most likely too. And he had kids. And I have small kids and I have that moment. If you're a parent, you probably have that moment where you're with your kids and, and, and they say, um, Daddy, Daddy, tell us a story. Would you tell us a story? And you say, yeah, I, I got to go. Little Johnny said, yeah, I got a great story for you. He said, one day, Mama packed me a lunch, and they said, oh, they roll their eyes. Not the Lunchable story again. Not the fish and chips story again, Dad. You better believe that every day of his life, little Johnny told the Lunchable story. Because it's one thing to see God use your life as a miracle to meet the needs of the masses. But it's another thing for you to personally experiencing God using what you have. One life, one lunch, thousands touched. I really believe that as amazing as the miracle is that fed so many people, I believe the greatest miracle is not for those who received, the greatest miracle was for the one who gave. In Timber Creek, you have an opportunity to say, God, I don't know what multiplied good you can do with what I give you, but I know that you will. And can I just say, 22 years later, 
from someone who said, God, I don't have much, but I surrender my life. And then a little bit later said, I not only surrender my life, but I surrender what I have. Can I just tell you, I had no idea what God would do. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Man, I thank you for every person that's here today, and I thank you, Lord, for just this story, and I don't know what someone may be carrying as they come through the doors of this incredible church today, but Father, I just pray that you would speak to the heart and you would encourage them and say, if you would just give me your life, I will use it for good. In fact, he, he doesn't just use your life for good. He wants your life because he loves you. He died for you. Some of you today, your step would be just to say, God, I I give you what I have. I give you what I have. I trust in you. I've trusted you with my eternity. I'm going to trust you with my finances because, God, I know you'll do a miracle in the masses, but I know you'll also do a miracle in me. But then some of you would say, my first step today is the step of saying, I need to give God my life. I need to surrender my life. I need to see what he will do if I will put my life in his hands. And some of you may, like me, feel like, man, I don't have much to give. I don't know if God can do much with my broken mess. Maybe I came today just to encourage you. Why don't you give it a shot? (laughs) Why don't you trust him? Why don't you hear these words from God? I love you. I'll forgive you. And if you give me your life, I'll use it for good. In fact, if that's you today and, and your step is to give your one life to God, would you just lift your hand up and I'm gonna pray with you if you're here today. Awesome, thank you. Just lift your hand up so I can see it. I'm gonna pray for you. Say, you know what? Today I need to give my life to God. Thank you. Troy, would you pray for me? I wanna give my one life to God. (laughs) I wanna surrender him. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for these people who said today, I give you my one life. God, would you use it for good? God, would you take my brokenness And would you make me whole? Thank you, Jesus, that there is no sin that your blood cannot cleanse. Thank you, Jesus, that you have the power to not only save me, but you have the power to use my life for good. And I pray that, Lord, you would transform not just the world around me, but you would transform the world in me. So, Jesus, I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.